Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question, while providing real solutions from a biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Pastor Charles Roberts and Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor. Hello, this is Pastor Charles Roberts, and welcome to another episode of Out of the Question, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Andrea Schwartz. How are you today, Andrea? I'm doing very well, thank you. Well, one of the things that we try to do in these podcasts is address subjects that are of significant interest to people and things that are timely, and the idea that nothing is beyond the purview of God's law word. And as it happens on this date, February 16th, as we are recording this in the year 2018, uh, the American media are abuzz with a very tragic event that has taken place at a school, a public school in the state of Florida where 17 people have been killed by at least one gunman. And so we want to talk about this today in a way that maybe sheds some light on a larger issue. And the question might be, why is there so much killing and violence in America, in our society? And out of that question is the larger and more significant issue of what happens in a society that turns itself away from God's law and his word. So with that, I'll ask Andrea if she wanted to con- uh, comment on any, any of this as we get started. Well, one of the most obvious things is that we live in an age where something happens halfway around the world or on the other side of the country, and we immediately have news reports about it. And since everyone comes from a perspective, there's going to be a manner in which this news is reported. Now, people are sort of used to the fact that the media in general doesn't start with God and his word. And so we talked about this in other times we've been discussing things in podcasts, that worldview matters, your perspective matters, your starting point matters. And so one of the most frustrating aspects of these kinds of things is that we end up with an emotional reaction to something, but it's based on the fact that we have filtered information. And so we try to make sense of things. And I think that's why people, when they hear things like this, they immediately want to bunker down and how do we protect ourselves? But as you just pointed out, that's not really the best question to be asking in times and situations like this. Yes, and it gets to the the same issue of how is our understanding of the world shaped, and especially our understanding of what is taking place in the world. We have this idea that the things that we see on the news, you used to be able to say the evening news, but of course it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, as you were just pointing out, that however that is served up to us in whatever soundbite or time frame that we are absorbing what is supposed to be the news, the assumption that we make, and maybe the assumption we are manipulated into making is that this alone is what has happened in the world today, or this alone, or these few things in the past 30 minutes of news broadcast are the most important things, when, of course, that's certainly not true at all. It's certainly not true that these things that have happened are the only things that have happened, and I would even go so far as to say it's not even the most important things that have happened. I may have mentioned this in a previous broadcast. At one point in our culture, and our society, the collective consciousness of our people in these United States was largely shaped and informed by biblical law. 
by the basic principles of the Ten Commandments, however poorly they may have been adhered to. Nevertheless, these are the things that inform people's thinking. And so there's a sense in which a larger, even nominal biblical culture is how everybody collectively thought about things. Now that has been replaced by the media and the humanistic ideals behind the media. So the media thinks for us. And when we start talking about events, about life, I think people would be shocked to know how much of what is coming out of their mouths really they have absorbed from television and the Internet. And so, as I mentioned at the beginning, we are looking at a time right now where there has been, in the order of things, yet another shooting at a public school, a government school. This has happened numerous times over the past five or ten years or more, and in other places, in nightclubs and other venues where supposedly one or two gunmen have shown up and started killing people randomly. And then we are awash in constant repetition of the event, minute analysis of how it happened and why it happened, and it tends to be so repetitive and so boring, frankly, that you just can barely stand it, especially when we consider the fact that the people who are commenting on these things with the idea of talking about solutions are so blind and so off the mark that nothing that they're saying is even remotely uh, the solution to the problem. Nor is it necessarily trustworthy. I think it's ironic that we can have national scandals about selling natural resources to foreign countries or whether or not somebody misused an email server. And, you know, we can study that for months, if not years, and we still don't know. But an hour after something happened, we know exactly what happened. We know why it happened. And suddenly everybody goes, oh, that's what happened. Well, why is it that some things can't really be known and other things are known immediately? Again, that's that filter. And if we don't use the filter of Scripture to even filter these messages, we're going to be like a tennis ball or a ping pong ball that keeps going back and forth, and it'll be based on the last thing we heard. I recently read, as as in the past couple of hours, a comment made by a fairly well-known conservative, libertarian-leaning commentator who happens to be uh, a woman, and she, she made what I thought was a pretty interesting comment about what you were talking about as far as the trustworthiness now, in the order of things, the, the shooter that we've been told is responsible for the killings in this particular case is someone by the name of Nicholas Cruz. And the comment that this writer made was that the FBI were unable to identify this man, even though he had posted a statement saying that he was going to do this because Nicholas Cruz was hiding behind the name of Nicholas Cruz. <laughs> so uh, I, I thought that was a pretty astute uh, comment on the failure of the people who were supposedly going to protect us from these kind of things. But yes, it gets to the deeper question that we raised a moment ago as the question behind the question is this is what happens in a culture or society where there's the collapse of a reliance upon the absolute truth of God's law word and then the turning inward into the psychological makeup of man. Now, many people hearing that would say, well, what's the problem? Well, the problem is, is that humanity is fallen. We are alienated. We are in rebellion at heart against our Creator. And as long as we have that connection, as long as we have the redemption offered to us in Christ Jesus, we have an avenue out of that horrible state. But if we do not, then everything that proceeds out of our hearts and minds 
is going to lead to meaninglessness, to violence, to evil. Well, Dr. Rustuni pointed it out in one of his writings in referring to how Cornelius Van Til, in his book on psychology of religion, talked about integration into the void. And the point was is that prior to the rise of humanism, especially of being associated with the Enlightenment age, our understanding of liberty and freedom was related to the idea that we were integrated as creatures into God and his law word and his creation. But throwing that off, our only option is integration into a void and us attempting to create meaning for ourselves apart from that solid foundation, and it leads only to the kind of chaos we see in our society today. So let's take a look at the curriculum in state schools. Now, there are 50 states. There are many counties and municipalities, and you can say, well, you can't really speak to every curriculum. But you really can because it's mandated from the federal level now with things like Common Core and these standards for advancement that the Bible is absent as a rule book for life. And since there is no such thing as neutrality or even a vacuum that exists for very long, something else is going to fill it. So let's take, if we assume that all these young men who go in and shoot up schools or people who go in and shoot up businesses, and there even have been some cases where people go in and shoot up in churches, that what philosophy of life were these people taught? Well, they were taught that they are a result of random, chaotic beginnings, and that there are no absolute standards, and we must accept everything everybody says about themselves or about how they view truth. And so is it hard to imagine that somebody wakes up one day and decides he or she is miserable, and if I'm miserable, everybody else is going to be miserable, and then finds a way to share his misery? That's not a stretch. And if you take a look at what has been depicted in television programming for the last 30-plus years, is we get a very camera-eye view of the psychopathic killer. It's not even unusual to have the camera angle be the wicked, evil person going out to decide to do harm to people. Evil is contagious. Not only do we all start off with a wicked and evil heart, but we get to share other people's ideas as to how to seek vengeance, how to get revenge against the people who upset us. And yet, if somebody were being informed on a regular basis in terms of God's law, they would understand the limitation of jurisdiction that God gives to the civil order, and they would know that God sees all things and vengeance is his, and he will repay, as opposed to, no, I've been taught that whatever I think and whatever I perceive is true is true, so vengeance is now mine. And back of your observations is a prior point that should be made, and it was uh, Gary North in his most recent writing yesterday that made this point, that what has happened in these school shootings is, in fact, a product of the public schools. That every shooter, in the case of it being in a school, is either a student at the school, was expelled from the school, 
was educated at that or some other school. In, in other words, th- this is not happening in homeschool co-ops. It's not, high, it's not even happening in charter schools or Christian schools. So it is quite legitimate to raise the issue that you've raised in light of that fact, which, of course, is something you are not hearing at all from any, any of the media outlets. And let's go one step further than that. We have compulsory education. So instead of being able to teach people who want to learn, you have a system that's set up that if somebody is of school age and that person is out and about during school hours, that person is truant and our solution is to get him back into the school. Because somehow or other, the Kool-Aid has been drunk that says everybody's safer if these people who might be prone to vandalism or burglary are in a school. So we're going to put them in a school and then we're going to make sure that everybody else, teachers and students alike, have to deal with people who don't want to be there. Yes, the bigger challenge or the equal challenge, I I should say, is that what do you do with those people who really don't want to be there and, and what kind of attitude are they going to manifest while they're there? I believe, if I remember correctly, in the current situation, this young man had been expelled from the school that he was in, and he had been put into a, another school or another classroom in the same place that was specifically for kids had been, that had, were problematic or that had been expelled. So, I mean, you see the absurdity of the whole thing. He, he's not fit to be in the school, so what do they do? They take him out of the regular school and put him in another school situation. And who comes in to help these troubled people? are the psychiatrists or the psychotherapists, people who are going to then decide that their problem isn't sin, because you see, we can't talk about sin, and so we'll medicate them in order to help them adjust better, and this is something that you're not going to see very much played out. From what age was this person put on drugs to make him more acceptable to his teachers, to make him fit in with this very socialistic system that everybody sits in the same room at the same time and the bell rings and they get up and they go to the next room and you're expected to learn five different subjects in a day, 50 to 110 minutes at a time. In other words, these people really are socialized. They're socialized into a system that says you do what you're told. Well, a lot of these people have been told by media, whether it's television or movies, that You can get back at people who were bad to you by shooting them up, killing them, or doing things to destroy them. So in a lot of ways, these kinds of things are manifestations of the success of the training in the state school. And of the larger culture divorced from God's law word. I had mentioned this, I think, in a previous podcast, and You know, since we don't know at what order any of our listeners may be listening to these, some people may just pick up on one uh, or the other, not in any kind of sequence. So I want to mention this again, that we find ourselves in a culture that's been desensitized to extreme violence by the promotion of it in the media, in movies, in television, in video games, where, as you said, somebody has a beef and they just shoot them up in the the video game and the heads fly off and the, the guts and the gore. But then you cut the game off and go get your soft drink and everything's fine. But in reality, of course, it's a very, very different story. And so as we're looking at what can we do about this, what's the answer to this, where do you put such people? Well, if you put them in prison, 
Then we have the advanced studies in potentially how to be more effective in your crime or your lawlessness. Or we just have an additional burden on taxpayer dollars. But the Bible, surprisingly enough, has rules that say there are certain there are certain sanctions, there are certain penalties for certain actions. So there are certain crimes that are considered capital crimes. And those crimes are met with that person losing his or her life. There are other crimes that are property crimes. And in that case, the person has to make up the damages done plus an additional penalty financially in order to compensate the person who was injured in some way, shape, or form, and to be a lesson to the offender, this is very costly to do this. And then if you had a situation with one of these offenders who kept repeating this lawless behavior, then there was a special category called an incorrigible. And the incorrigible was an adult person it wasn't an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old. It was an adult person who continued to act lawlessly and not follow the sentencing of the presiding judges. And in which case, the incorrigible fell under the category of a capital offense because he is a repeat offender. So in a biblical framework, we don't have prisons because people have either lost their lives for violating laws that God said their life is do, or they've made restitution and have reformed in terms of not living their life in such a way that instead of working, they were going to take other people's things. So there is a biblical solution. Unfortunately, churches are not teaching that. The examples that you have referred to, Andrea, also are grounded in the very, very important biblical ideal of the centrality of the family, and the family as the place where an individual is to learn the basic rules of human interaction based on God's law. I heard a man who is a a well-known defender of civil liberties, he's an attorney, and uh, he was talking about an incident that happened in his youth, and he's probably in his 50s or 60s, somewhere in that age frame when about the most dangerous thing a young person would get involved with was maybe throwing eggs at somebody's house. And he had been doing that, he said, and he happened to be spotted by a police officer in the neighborhood, and the the police officer put him in the back of the car. He said that I asked him, are you going to take me to jail? He said, no, I'm going to do something far worse. I'm taking you to your father. Right. And see, that, again, is an example of how, now, I don't know uh, of the the religious, quote-unquote, orientation of any of the people involved in this example. They have both been Christians at the time. They may have both been agnostics at the time. But there was an implicit recognition on the part of that law enforcement officer, that peace officer, as they used to be called, that the primary resource in this case is to take the boy to the main person who should pass judgment on him in this case, and that is his father, And according to the speaker, his father definitely did pass judgment on him, and he never did that again. Exactly. Think of the consequences of disempowering the family. Most people nowadays are more afraid of the police officers who now, as you pointed, have been called law enforcement officers as opposed to officers who would help maintain the peace by removing people who were disturbing the peace. But now the family has no authority. 
And you might say, well, sure they do. Well, up to a certain point, because as soon as somebody enters into the state school system, there are many things where the family can be overridden. And in some cases, there are laws on the books that say the family can't even be informed of certain things that are happening. So mom and dad still might be responsible for medical bills, but there are certain medical procedures that doctors or nurses or even school officials are bound by law not to share with parents because privacy of the student has now trumped the authority of the family. And let's make sure that our listeners understand that we can, I think, assume that at least some of our listeners would be aware of this, but insofar as some may not, I would like to say to those listening that you need to understand that there are larger forces at work when these types of incidents come about. I'm not saying that there's somebody who has a room full of these student killers and they're programmed and wound up like a doll and told to go out and kill people. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that there has been a war declared on Christian civilization for many, many millennia, and it takes different forms at different times. And there have been concerted efforts from different quarters in our culture and society going back several hundred years to try to undermine the authority of the Christian family and the pervasiveness of a Christian consciousness in our culture. And how we see this manifest in incidents like this is how we see the non-stop, constant repetition of these kind of images when they happen. I well remember when 9-11 took place. It seemed like they would never stop showing those buildings collapsing. I mean, it was just constant, over and over and over again. And you have to wonder, why is the, why is the news media doing this? What is the larger purpose? Well, I think the larger purpose is to manipulate people into thinking, oh, my goodness, the family's not enough. Daddy's not enough. We've got to have the police. We've got to have the FBI and the federal authorities to protect us and save us. And you notice, who are the people that are trotted out in these instances to give us assurances of peace and calm and uh, taking care of things. Well, it's the governor of the state. It's the head of the police department. It's these government officials. No one from the church, no one from a family. I remember seeing something just recently about the flu epidemic where the governor of a neighboring state close to where I live was sending forth a message to his citizens about how to avoid getting the flu, of all things. So this is how far we have come from the centrality of the biblical family to the centrality of the humanistic government and its various tentacles, if I can use that word. Lest people think, okay, we understand we don't watch the quote-unquote liberal media, but I was listening yesterday to a radio broadcast on a conservative media, and this is what the person who was favorably inclined to the worldview of this conservative radio program said, we know we have good schools. We know we have good people in the schools. What we need is bulletproof glass and we need armed policemen having students go through metal detectors in the front door when they go to school. You see, we don't have to wait for the Congress. Every state can do this themselves. And the commentator said, yes, I thoroughly agree. What, this is a good solution? Oh, you might as well just then have the prisons next to the schools and maybe consolidate efforts and put the schools and the prisons near airports so that we can screen people before they get on. This is a conservative channel telling us this is how we're going to deal with the problem of evil. 
And that, too, is a part of the larger problem that we face in terms of getting back to a biblical foundation of our culture and society as it relates to issues like violence and undisciplined children and these kind of things happening, is that too many people who might be inclined to say, well, yes, we need a biblical morality. In other words, I'll say broadly evangelical Protestant Christians, but Christians of any any church or denomination who would have an, a concern about this, they've been fooled into thinking that because that commentator, that radio host, that TV channel, whatever it is, that network, they are quote-unquote conservative, then what they say is reliable, and we need to pay attention to them. And, and they wouldn't dare say anything like the evil liberals or whoever it may be. What we find is they are promoting the government-sanctioned schools and a humanistic agenda in a slightly different version, but at the end of the day, it's like the choice between going 100 miles into hell versus 150 miles an hour into hell. Either way, you're headed straight to hell. Exactly. And let me say that I've heard talk that more people now are going to choose homeschooling or they're going to put their children in private schools because of these kinds of things. And where I'd say that's a sort of good starting point, if that's the reason you're going to homeschool or if that's the reason that you're going to lay out the tuition for a private school, you won't stay the course. No. Because it's not as though those two arenas, everything is easy and you don't have to sacrifice and you don't have to reorder your life in order to do it. Christians should be providing a Christian education for their children in obedience to God, not because they're afraid of their children being shot up in a public school. Statistically speaking, in terms of the negative effects of public school, the curriculum is far more of a danger than a shooter who comes in and shoots up the place. And this gets to the heart of the lesser of two evils category in, the, in this particular issue relating to education and schooling. Somebody, as you described, who is concerned about this, they might see private school, Christian school, or homeschooling as a shield against the violence and the drugs and all that sort of thing. So the homeschool or the Christian school is the, the, the lesser of the two problematic situations. But you see, that doesn't change the, the whole scenario. The only way any of this is going to change from our perspective based on God's law is not the people who currently listen to phony conservative media. It's their children. They're the ones who are going to make the difference. And unless they are taught properly about their place in God's order and their relationship to God, then we're going to perpetuate the same thing. So I have told people all along in the days in which my wife and I homeschooled our children, I homeschool my children not because there's so much drugs in the school or so much problems in the school. I homeschool my children because I understand as a Christian man and my wife as a Christian woman and mother, we have the obligation to do this. And the government has absolutely no business whatsoever teaching my children anything. And as a homeschooling parent myself, fact remains, when you are homeschooling your children, the greatest opportunity is not to impart good grammar rules or particular sophistication in mathematical skills. It's seeing the sin manifested in your children, dealing with it when it arises, and then anything you teach them, you teach from the point of view of calling of obedience and God's commands. For a lot of people, that's way too much work. 
And it is a lot of work, and I'm sure you'll attest to it, and your wife will, as I will, and any other homeschool parent who has actually gone the course. The difference is when you send your children to a outside day school, whether it's Christian or secular, that child's sin is still with that child. And the child is hanging around with other sinners. Is sin going to be dealt with? Is sin going to be acknowledged? Is the standard by which we're going to call something right or wrong be God's word or something else? So if a parent doesn't take his or her job seriously, then the parent's going to say the child is in the teenage stage. I have a teenager. Oh, I can't wait until these teenage years are over. The Bible doesn't talk about teenagers and adolescents because sin is sin, no matter what age you are, and righteousness is righteousness, no matter what age you are. But as soon as people buy into the whole societal perspective that says, well, there's such a thing as a third grader, and of course, eighth graders do this, and oh, he's a junior. We understand what that means. They've just embraced a system that is artificial and only produces the societal problems that people get afraid of when something like this happens. Exactly correct. It's interesting, as I've been thinking about it, I mentioned how all these school shooters have been, as far as the ones that have taken place in schools, have all been connected in one way or another to the public schools. I have seen over the years a number of phases of TV series and things like that where the bad guy was a product of homeschooling. That comes out in in the storyline, that somehow homeschooling was involved, or there's something not quite right because this wacky person was homeschooled. Well, that's a, a perfect example of the type of culture war that I was describing a moment ago. And the reality is just the opposite. It's not the homeschool kids who are doing this kind of thing. It's the public school related kids who are committing these types of things when they unfortunately do happen. And let me just say, that neither you nor I are saying that because kids are homeschooled, children are homeschooled, then they turn out to be absolutely perfect, moral, never creating a problem, or never being sinners or being sinful. We're not saying that at all. But the thing is, is that the Christian homeschool provides a context by which those things can be dealt with and acknowledged in a biblical manner, rather than painted over or given some phony false name or even encouraged to where it leads to the kind of societal chaos that we have in our culture today. I constantly encourage moms that I'm in touch with. When you see your child do something deliberately in violation of what you said, don't go in the refrigerator, don't eat that candy, don't eat whatever, and the child does it. If you don't deal with it now, add 10 years and you say, I don't want you to take the car. Well, if you didn't deal with this rebellion when the child was dealing with cookies, if you wait, now that the child can disobey you and take this 5,000-pound vehicle and go out and do whatever he or she wants, the consequences are far greater with somebody disobeying at an older level than at a younger level. And so the issue isn't, homeschool kids are all perfect people. No, if you're educating your children with a biblical world and life view, you're not going to have this illusion that my child is not a sinner. Oh, you're going to get daily, daily, if not hourly, observation and evidence that most definitely he or she is. That's why parents 
in order to be parents and also in order to be home educators, but parents, let's just take parents in general, if they don't know the law of God themselves, and if the churches they're attending don't teach it, then basically their children are going to absorb their surroundings. And if their surroundings say everybody's basically good, and what we have to do is give everybody educational opportunities, you're not going to deal with the sin nature that's in all of us. Well, and then when we see things like what have happened here, I mean, the, the most recent events that we've been talking about, things are determined to be problematic or not good based on what the state or the government decides is not good. So for now, at least they are still saying that it's not good that an individual will go into a school and, and shoot up and kill a bunch of people. But getting back to a point I was making earlier, the larger issue there is the effort to move society in a direction of being completely and totally dependent on government for protection and for safety. And so, therefore, we see this constant emphasis on the need for more laws, more metal detectors, more money put into the, you know, all of this, this kind of thing. And uh, the problem is, is that if we will not govern ourselves according to the standards given to us in Holy Scripture that are basically summarized in the Ten Commandments, we therefore are giving over our freedom and our liberty to those who will make up other laws and enforce them upon us. Dr. Rushdooney, in a writing that I'll recommend shortly, talked about the fact that liberty in its pre-enlightenment understanding had to do with the idea of privilege. And that's specifically related to the church, and it's not being under the auspices of the state. It had that privilege of not being taxed, of not being in any way under the jurisdiction of the state. And the same with the family. But now uh, the liberty has come to mean, well, I, I can do anything I want to do as long as I don't hurt someone else. And he actually, in that article, talks about a conversation that he had with someone who defined liberty and freedom in that way. Now this person, they said, okay, unless I'm a Nazi, unless I'm an anti-Semite or whatever it may be, but Rushdooney pointed out that the problem is what your definition is of goodness and hurting someone. See, so the, even the idea that sounds so wonderful, it, we're free to do what we want as long as we don't hurt somebody. Well, how can that have any meaning at all if you don't really have a, a foundation to decide what it is to hurt somebody? And that foundation is given to a person from Scripture and taught to them in their earliest days in a home Christian setting. And in the absence of an intact family, when you have families without fathers, when you have families that are depending on state aid as opposed to involved in Christian churches where charity is coming voluntarily from people in obedience to God as opposed to mandatory confiscation in taxation, then you're not going to have this kind of grounding. Whatever they learn early on will be how they operate. In the society that existed largely prior to the full-blown advent of humanism in our culture as we know it today, what, you're, what you just described is, was very much the case. This goes back to what we're talking about, quote, first responders. Well, whether, whether it's a case of some sort of horrific emergency, whether it be an accident, a horrible storm where there's damage, or somebody just simply needing charitable help, well, according to Scripture, the first responders, quote-unquote, are other members of the family or other members of the, the neighborhood or the community. They are the people who come together to help in a volunteer basis, but in a sense of having moral obligation before God to 
extend charity and help to those simply because they're created in God's image if they are not, in fact, connected covenantally to someone else. And that is something else that has come to be largely replaced by the great God of our society, the government. Charity must come from the government. Safety must be provided by the government. All these things have been subsumed, and and Christians have largely been complicit in simply either agreeing to this or standing by and not having much to say about it when the, the very foundation of their society is being taken away from them. If everybody said no who really thought that we got taxed too much and we get too much interference, after a while those forces in government would back down or there'd be a real-for-real conflict and then God would decide the outcome. But if we just decide, well, we've got to hold them at bay, we've got to hold them at bay, that's not what Scripture tells us to do. It tells us to advance the crown rights of Jesus Christ, not cower against the Caesars of our day. The power of saying no is one that we definitely have and that cannot be taken away from us. But the thing that can happen is that we can be brainwashed or manipulated into thinking that we should never say no or that somehow as good little sheep we must succumb to the wolves of our culture. That is just as bad as being told you can't say no when your mind has been bent to the point where you wouldn't say no because you would think you'd be a bad American or a bad citizen or something along that line. We see an example of like this in terms of politics, in terms of elections. Every time we have a presidential cycle come around or maybe a gubernatorial race, it's the constant debate among conservative Bible-leading Christians about, well, we've got to vote for the lesser of two evils. This is a, a prime example where I believe God would have us say, no, no, we're not going to do this because as long as I'm continuing to validate the process where I'm asked to give my assent to someone who has a few good things to say, but on this, these five or six other things, they're towing the line of the state and these other areas that are violations of God's word. In other words, if Christians would simply withhold their yes, whatever the category, education of their children, electing corrupt political officials, then eventually the system would implode upon itself and it just couldn't function. But it depends upon us being bamboozled and brainwashed into thinking that we must behave in ways that really undercut the things that we supposedly believe. I think Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. If we are alive in Christ, then we have work to do. And you actually mentioned something about in the midst of all this reporting, what else should people know is going on? If this is the sole thing that when you turn on the television or you go to your news feed or however you get your news, that this is all that's being talked about, count on the fact that this is when statism can advance. And this is when, on the opposite side of the fence, that a lot of good things can be happening but aren't being reported. And I think back on the day that Mary gave birth to Jesus in Bethlehem. If you had looked at the newspapers of the day, they would have missed the biggest story ever. <laughs> exactly. That's, uh, that's uh, the, the perfect way to put it. Apparently, it, it didn't make the news. The problem that we face today is that all the media, all of them, have lined up in lockstep with a larger agenda to where they pretty much all say the same thing about events like the ones that we're talking about. And that is a very frightening thing that ought to get Christians' attention. And you notice one of the other topics that tends to come up from this 
is what they call gun control. Like, that's going to solve the problem. Well, let's call it for what it is. It's not really gun control that the, the powers that be are after. What they're after is civilian disarmament. That's part of the larger, and that's a, this is one of the constant drumbeats whenever these things happen. We've got these people who want to totally disarm citizens. They don't miss an opportunity like this to legislate that idea. Because the assumption is that the greatest threat to society are these gunmen who come into our institutions and shoot them up. So if you can convince people that that's your greatest threat, they're not going to observe that the greater threat is when you disarm the citizenry and now those in power decide you're going to do what we say you're going to do, that you end up not in the position that you thought you would end up. So if you look at it from the point of view of the Christian capital of a society, think of it like a bank account. When you and I were in school, there was still money in savings. As the society progressed, certainly with the 60s and, and following, with the assault on Christian perspectives in the marketplace or in the civil sphere, and then the increasing legislation or judicial activism that said babies in the womb weren't really people, all the way up to a man isn't a man unless he says he's a man, and you can have marriage between two men, two women, and any other configuration. We're now running a huge deficit morally. So the Christian capital is not there. If we want to see it replaced, it's going to be the hard work of faithful Christians who contend for the faith and stand for what God says. At, at the end of Ecclesiastes, hear the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. If we lived by that, and if we teach that, then we'll be able to see 30, 40, 50 years from now, and most of us, at least my age group, probably won't be alive, but our children's children will, that we'll see the bank account of Christian capital being replenished, where now it's pretty much been depleted. That is an excellent point on which to end. For people who might want to pursue some of these ideas, I would recommend reading about some of the foundational issues about which we've talked in Volume 3 of R.J. Rushdoony's An Informed Faith. The position papers of R.J. Rushdoony is a chapter called The Changed Meaning of Liberty. That one in particular is very, very relevant to what we're talking about today. Andrea, I don't know if you had anything you wanted to recommend or not. Well, I think that on an easier read basis, there's the book called Our Threat and Freedom, where the same author goes through various aspects, assault on freedom, but instead of saying, oh, poor us, look what's happening to us, in his work, there is what we do about it. And it's always a call to faithfulness. That is an excellent resource as well. Well, thank you very much, Andrea. It's uh, good to have our discussion today, and we'll look forward to our next podcast of Out of the Question. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, visit www.kingdomdrivenfamily.com.